The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Councilmember Coleman Young II. Here. Councilmember Gabrielle Santiago Romero. Present. With two present, there is a quorum. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Are there any objections? Hearing none, the minutes are approved. I just wanted to use my chair remarks to say that uh, Chairman Durhall will not be here, but he will be back shortly, and that we look forward to having him back. Till that time, I will be here as chair. Moving on now to public comments. Is there anyone in the audience that would like to give public comment? No? Okay, now we will go virtually. You have two minutes. Give your public comment. Uh, please, public comment is now closed. Public comment is now closed. Public comment is now closed. All right. Who do we have in the queue, Mr. Leonard? Good afternoon, Mr. Vice Chair and honorable members of the committee. Today, uh, we have five attendees with their hands raised. Our first caller is Cunningham. All right, Mr. Cunningham, you have two minutes. The floor is yours, sir. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hello. All right. Good morning, honorable councilman. Um, hope you're doing well and everybody at home. Uh, I have a question. I have a gentleman who wants to talk about the bus service and he couldn't have difficulties with the Zoom with him. So I want to know if you can piggyback at the end of my public comments, sir. If that's possible. I don't know in terms of if you want to like switch it up and have him come on on your time, that's fine. But Unless he calls in. Okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah, he had some difficulty. Not everybody's uh, computer savvy and stuff, so that's no problem. Yeah. 313-444-9114. 313-444-9114. 313-444-9114. 4-4-4-9-1-1-4. Subservient Cunningham. The name on Facebook is 4-Subservient Cunningham. There's an anonymous look at the Facebook and... I don't see your caller ID when you call 313-444-9114, not necessarily. So, um, Mr. LaShawn, you want to talk about the bus service? Yes. The councilwoman earlier, she allowed the people to piggyback, but he said only 50 seconds. Go ahead and talk. It's always, you know, they never have time. They be late, especially when it comes to some serious, like want to get a job. I've been two jobs in the past three years trying to catch the bus to go to work back and forth. I understand that they're trying to get paid. I understand that they try to keep up with the bus tickets. I understand all that. But some of the bus drivers are real lousy, and they need, they need to check them. And what you mean by lousy? I mean, by lousy, I mean, like, they can come at, on the job with a nasty attitude. They bring in their personal lifestyle on the bus, and they could have left that at home before they came to work. And we still need assistance houses, and a lot of people out here are cold, and we ain't got no help anywhere as it is. That's all you want to say, Mr. Rochelle? Thank you. Honorable Councilman, thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Thank you for that call. Who we got next to the queue, Mr. Leonard? Our next caller is Overwith. All right, Mr. Overwith, two minutes. <coughs> Floor is yours. Is it over with? Yeah, uh, before you start the clock, uh, Honorable, uh, well, hey, Councilman Coleman Young, I think it's not fair that you open up the meeting and then close public comment two minutes before into the meeting. That's that's unfair. But since you don't start the clock, I'm gonna go straight to it. Now, I attended the uh charter mandated meeting the other day, and the mayor said something that was totally false, misleading to the public in regards to me about some kind of case being dismissed. I ain't never got no case against the city, so I don't know what he's talking about. And um, today being the first day of Black History Month, I want to bring this to the attention of all Detroiters within earshot. 
the CFO of the city of Detroit has used a fractional fraud system to disenfranchise the hundreds of thousands of black pay taxpayers here in the city of Detroit. That's without question. That's what I raised to the mayor. And he decided to say that I had some kind of case in court. I got my information from a report proffered up by uh, LPD Director David Whitaker with information coming from the CFO's office. And what they're doing is they're using a fraction of the millage to determine the state assessed equivalent, which is creating approximately 900, no, 9 billion and $900 million out of thin air. Now that is totally, totally absurd, ludicrous. And Councilman Young, you need to investigate this matter as the chair of budget audit and finance today, bring it up about this fractional fraud system in the state assessed value because it's Black History Month and I'm Ruben Black and that's what I want to happen. All right, thank you, sir. Who do we have next in the queue, Mr. Leonard? Our next caller is Detroit Unity. All right, Detroit Unity, you got two minutes. Floor is yours. I believe Mr. Unity is muted. No, I'm unmuted. This is Ruby Black. I've already spoke. All right, thank you. We appreciate you. Who's next in the queue, Mr. Bo? I mean, Mr. Leonard, sorry. Our next What's caller happening? is uh, Detroit Unity. Did we already have Detroit Unity last time? Detroit. This is another Detroit Unity. Yes. Okay. All right, Detroit Unity 2. Floor is yours. Two minutes. Detroit. I believe that call has dropped off. Um, our next caller is the, with the number ending in 711. All right, 711, you have two minutes. The floor is yours. Yes, I'm Malik Shelton. Uh, I have a line item that I believe that's, that was put forth uh, because of me concerning the limited tax general obligation bonds, but I would just like to say before um, I respond uh, in writing to that report coming out of the LPD division and respond to the holes and misstatements that's contained in it because I read it. I'd just like to put this out there. The city of Detroit, and everything I'm saying is factual, has issued over $3 billion, with a B, worth of uh, general obligation bonds, principal and interest, since 2014, and the city of Detroit, under the Duggan administration, has only given one notice, and that was for that $12 million Joe Lewis demo bond for a mere $12 million, uh, and only one notice for referendum for that to the residents and taxpayers of this city, even though we have to pay back every red cent plus interest, and only one bond voting initiative that was put on the ballot, one bonding uh, initiative that was put on the ballot, and that was for that so-called neighborhood improvement bond in 2020. And so that translates to over $3 billion worth of bonds, principal and interest, that the residents and taxpayers of this city are on hook to pay for. But we barely ever got any right to vote on anything, and we only received one notice for that Joe Lewis, a $10 million or $12 million Joe Lewis demo bond. Okay, apart from the laws that were violated, no one can say that that's morally, ethically correct. The residents and taxpayers of this city need to have a notice or a vote on any and all loans or bonds. All right, Mr. Shelton, thank you so much for that. I just wanted to remind you that that line on 6.4 will be brought back in a week, so we will have a more robust discussion on that next week at, if the chairman so chooses to do so. 
All right, who do we have next to the queue, Mr. Leonard? Mr. Vice Chair, that concludes public comments. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, sir. I appreciate that. Now we are moving on to line item five, unfinished business. We are submitting a report relative to report on major financial issues of DWSD and GLWA. This report reviews major financial issues of Detroit Water and Sewage Department, DWSD, and its financial relationship with the Great Lakes Water Authority, GLWA. It was brought back as directed on 1 January 25th, 2023. And from my understanding, we have Mr. Brown on the line to discuss this. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Gary Brown, director. Director, of, excuse uh, me. I'm oh, sorry. Dire excuse me. Director. No, I, 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 I wear orthopedic shoes. I stand corrected. Director, Mr. Brown. Uh, ahead, Mr. Sir. Chair. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, I need to make a motion first. Uh, you, you, you need to get a motion to okay. discuss. Thank you. Is there a motion to discuss line on the 5.1? Motion. Are there objections? Hearing none, we will now discuss line on 5.1. Thank you, Dr. Powers. Uh, Director Brown, please continue, sir. Well, yeah, Mr. Chair. Yeah, hold on for a minute. Mr. Corley, yes. Yes, sir. thank you for, uh, sorry for interrupting, um, um, no. Mr. Chair. So this is based on a um, PowerPoint that we started last week. Okay. And we were almost done with it. Okay. And so if it's okay with you and the committee, you wanna. I can finish up and I would touch on the affordability issues and then Mr. Brown and Ms. Pospich can. That's right. You were supposed to, I, I'm sorry, Dr. Brown. Director Brown. <laughs> it looks like a doctor. Yeah, I, I, I'll get it together. I'll get it together eventually, <laughs> Mr. Corley. Uh, but uh, we're going to have Mr. Corley go. We're going to finish the report, and then we'll have uh, Director Brown. I really appreciate that, Mr. Go Chair. Go ahead. Yeah, go so ahead. Mr. Alexander has joined me, and he's going to um, bring up the PowerPoint, and he's going to go to page 9. <clears throat> We're going to start at page 9. Page nine. Wonderful. So I'm going to uh, start on page nine, end up on page 10. The city of Detroit has struggled with implementing an affordable rate plan for its water and sewer the customers for many years. Now, more than 60,000 city households have delinquent water bills, an estimated 27% of Detroit's 220,000 residential customers, according to DWSD. The average debt per customer is $700. Accounts receivable has increased dramatically. The city's collection rate dropped from 93% at the start of the pandemic to 75% recently during the ongoing shutoff moratorium. In June 2022, um, Mayor Duggan and D DWSD announced the Water and Sewage Lifeline Plan, Detroit's first income-based water affordability plan. On the same day, the plan was approved by the um, Water and Sewage Board and Water Commissioners. The Detroit Lifeline Plan developed in partnership with Detroit community advocates and water affordability experts offers qualifying customers a fixed monthly rate as low as $18 per month and erases past debt on Detroiters' water bills. It also will help achieve advocates' longstanding goal of a system that charges low-income residents no more than 1.8% of their average monthly income for water service. City officials say the long-hoped-for plan would help thousands of Detroit residents facing water insecurity and is now possible due to regional, state, and federal funding. The plan approved by the water commissioners 
includes a new inclining block rate structure for water uses that provides a lower water rate to all DWSD customers up to 4,500 gallons per month. Um, for, for, I'm sorry, 4,500 gallons per month. Income qualifying households will pay as little again as $18 per month for total water, sewage, and drainage costs and no more than $56 per month. Currently, an average Detroit household with three people uses between 2,300 and 3,000 um, gallons of water per month and pays on average about $82 a month for the water, sewage, and drainage um, services. Next page, page 10. So I just want to let the committee know there is a real nice uh, lifeline plan, frequently asked questions on DWSD's uh, website, and it gives a nice breakdown of the lifeline plan. I really encourage um, citizens to go to that. But I'm just going to give a quick overview of that and then turn it over to DWSD to give their current update on the lifeline plan. So there's three tiers to the lifeline plan. Um, a person would pay $18 a month for monthly water, sewer, and drainage bill if the household income is at or below 135% of the federal poverty level. You would pay $43 per month, that's the second tier, for your water, sewer, and drainage bill if the household income is above 135% of the federal poverty level, but at or below 150%. And then the last tier, you would pay $56 per month for the monthly water, sewer, and drainage bill if the household income is above 150% of the federal poverty level, but at or below 200% of the federal poverty level. Um, my last comment before I turn it over, on January the 10th, at a um, DWSD Finance Committee meeting, it was mentioned that total accounts receivable, less allowance for doubtful accounts, has increased about $18 million since June 30, 2022 um, to October 31 of 2022. And it increased about $21 million in the previous fiscal year. So, you know, this is still uh, an issue that the department has to grapple with. But way, one way of doing that is offering affordability plans that they have, you know, before the citizens. So with that, Mr. Chair, I'd like to turn it over to um, the DWSD representatives. Thank you. Thank you. Ex report as always, Mr. Corley. Uh, <clears throat> Director Brown, the floor is yours, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. And Mr. Corley, as always, has done an outstanding job of reporting the uh, status of DWSD's uh, financial situation. And I think we would all agree today that uh, we, don't, we do not have a, a financial issue. And uh, I credit, you know, my, sec you know, my, my financial team, uh, my board of directors that has a financial committee that makes sure that DWSD stays within that roadmap that we call a budget. As most of you know, DWSD does not receive any money from the general fund. We don't get tax dollars. We have to operate based on the rates that we collect. And even though uh, we're staying within budget, there are consequences to that. Uh, there's no department in city government that can bleed $40 million a year and not have that have a serious effect on the delivery of service. And so in order to stay within budget, we did not uh, replace retiring uh, uh, DWSD employees. Uh, we deferred uh, a lot of maintenance and projects that we would have done with the $40 million had we collected, as you heard, 93% uh, of what we built. Uh, but it is, it is even worse than Mr. Corley outlined. We've dropped now uh, down to 72% of what we built being collected. And please understand that prior to the moratorium, we were collecting 93% of what we built. 
it wasn't until the moratorium went into effect that customers that could afford, afford to pay stopped paying. And uh, we pride ourselves on the Lifeline uh, program. It's being talked about all over the country. Uh, at 3 o'clock, I'm going to be uh, talking about it uh, with the Health and Human Services Department, uh, how well uh, it's being run. Um, and, and, and Irv did a great job of outlining the program. I'm going to go through it just a, a little bit more. But I want you to understand the consequences of not collecting 92%, $40 million. And we, it's my intent next year to add 100 employees to DWSD to be able to get caught up on some of the backlog of work. But that's going to all depend on whether or not we get back to a normal collection rate. We, it's not sustainable to only collect 72%. 95% is the national average around the country. And we're way down at 72. So that's a problem. We think the Lifeline uh, program is going to make sure that any citizen in the city of Detroit that needs assistance, that that assistance is, uh, is there. Uh, let me make just two quick points. Uh, my friends in the water advocacy uh, world uh, that you hear from and I hear from and that I'm working very closely with will tell you uh, when they heard us roll this program out, they had two major issues with the program. The first issue was you don't have sustainable income to sustain this program. It's just a pilot. And so until you have sustainable income, uh, this is uh, not acceptable. And I'm here to tell you today that we have secured uh, sustainable income and that the governor announced uh, a couple of days ago when she signed a supplemental bill making $25 million available for low-income customers in the Lifeline program. So uh, uh, we have dollars for the foreseeable future to be able to fund this program. Secondly, uh, the second uh, things that my friends in the advocacy world would say is that we did not address families uh, that had more than four people in, in their household, large families, people with eight or 10 families. And so we work with them and we've now addressed that issue where if you have more than four uh, people in your home, you will be allowed to use uh, more water than just 4,500 gallons which is set for a family of four. And so we're, we're happy to announce that those, uh, those two issues that were, uh, the advocacy groups were absolutely right. They needed to be addressed, and uh, we certainly appreciate uh, their input. By way of example, if a family has five or six people in the household, they'll be allowed to use 6,750 gallons, not 4,500. If a family has seven or eight, it'll go to 9,000. If a family has nine or 10, it'll go to 11,250. And if a family has uh, 11 or 12 plus, uh, they will be afforded 13,500 gallons. So way this above the 4,500. Director Brown, send that information to our offices as well, Director I, Brown. I, I have a PowerPoint. I will send it Please. to you today. So let, let's, let's recap the Lifeline program. First of all, the first thing we do with the money that we have, and I put it, I break it up into three pots. The first pot is to pay off the arrears for good. I know that uh, it was said that the average is $700, but we have a lot of people that are outside the average that have a lot more than $700. And in fact, we've, we've spent $10 million uh, reducing those arrears already. So we're going to give you a fresh start. Right at the beginning, we're going to wipe out all of your past debt. So that's one bucket of money that we utilize. The next bucket is we cap the monthly payment based on 1.8% of household income. And that's what, that's what makes this program an affordability program. We're basing it on household income, how much you will have to pay. An assistance program is what DWSD has always had and what my friends in the advocacy world would say was inadequate. We agree with them. Giving someone $25 and not taking into consideration their household income or how many people in their household was not uh, a, a fair way to distribute the dollars. 
And so we have a true affordability program, and we picked the number because uh, we've seen uh, lots of scientific data come out of universities that says if a low-income customer pays more than 1.8% of their household income, then that's a burden on that family. And so no matter whether you're at 135% of federal poverty level, whether you're at 150% or 200%, we ask you to pay 1.8% of your household income. And I'm here to tell you that the, the, the mass majority of customers that are enrolled in our program are at the $18 level, all in. Water, sewer, drainage, arrears paid off. And then the third bucket, which is most important, and I, I, uh, I say this over and over again, we have a bucket of money that allows us to do a home audit and go in and fix the plumbing issues in that home. And we don't care whether you're renting or you're a homeowner. It doesn't matter to us. If you're in the Lifeline program, we go in and we do the audit, fix your plumbing issues, put in low flow toilets so that you can get to an average bill. Now, let, let, let me just explain what happens when, uh, you know, when the federal government gives a utility $30 million to pay off arrears, because that's, that's what's happened in the past. Well, we go in and we take 40 or 50,000 customer accounts and we pay down the arrears. And then guess what? The next week, the arrears start to accumulate again. And there's never going to be enough money to sustain a program that you're constantly paying off the arrears. Once you get in the lifeline, we pay off the arrears. You pay $18. We pay the gap between the $18 and what the bill really is. We fix the plumbing issues to get you to an average bill, and you never accrue those type of arrears again because your gap between the $18 and what the bill is is being paid for through the lifeline program. That's what makes this program sustainable and one of a kind in, in the nation. We, I challenge you to look at any utility in America, gas, light, water, and find an $18 all-in bill. You won't find it. We've looked, because we've we tried to make our program the best, and, and we believe that, that it is. Uh, let me just wrap up by saying we've transitioned uh, 2,500 customers into the Lifeline program that used to be in the wrap, RAP is no longer uh, a program that we utilize, water residential assistance program. We use the Lifeline Affordability Program, and we automatically push those 2,500 customers into Lifeline. We did a huge outreach program. The problem since I've been here is getting people to apply. We did all the normal media, social media, and the normal things in the newspaper and television, but we went a step further and we went and knocked on 49,000 households. We knocked on the door, and these were customers that we knew were behind in their bills. We have the data, and our, 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 uh, our advocates had uh, tablets that could enroll the person into the program on the spot. The beauty of this program is you enjoy the benefits of a moratorium. You keep a moratorium status if you just apply. Even if it takes us time to process you, as soon as you apply, you are enjoying the benefits of a moratorium. You will not be shut off. And every customer in the city of Detroit has the ability not to see a service interruption if they simply ask for help. It doesn't matter what their income is. If they're above the income limits for Lifeline, then we have a payment plan, 103050, that will help those customers that don't meet the economic guidelines. So we have a plan, and once you uh, sign up, that's all you have to do. You don't have to be processed, just sign up. You enjoy the benefits of a moratorium. Now right now we have uh, 10,000 people enrolled in Lifeline. 
getting, the majority of them getting an $18 bill. They're already enrolled. We have another 3,000 that are in the 103050, meaning they don't fit the income guidelines, but we put them in a payment plan and they enjoy the benefits of a moratorium. We have more than 8,000 applications that are pending in the process review stage right now. And we've done such a good job with our outreach, getting people to apply, we haven't been able to keep up with process. But they're, they're in the moratorium as long as they just apply. And uh, just yesterday, we put additional 10 um, call takers on through Wayne Metro. By February 6th, we will add 30 more, and we will get these uh, applications processed uh, to the tune of about 20,500 uh, uh, customers. Mm. And uh, DWSD has never seen that level of involvement in any of our programs before. So it's a once in a lifetime uh, situation for us. Uh, I'll stop there. I know that you have questions or concerns and, and leave time to, to answer those. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Uh, Mr. Yeah, Director Brown. We appreciate that. That was excellent. Uh, most of the questions that I had, you kind of already answered. So uh, we look forward to getting that report and getting more information about that. So I think we're just going to go ahead and just move on. We're going to, I'd like to make a motion to receive and file line item 5.1. So moved. Are any objections? Hearing none, line on 5.1 will be received and filed. Now we move on to line item 5.2. Submitting report relative to financial report for the five months ended in November 30th, 2022. We will now recognize Mr. Watson, Steve Watson. Um, you available, uh, sir? Discussion. Uh, yes, good afternoon. Oh, hold, uh, wait, I'm sorry. hold on for me, I'm sorry. Is there a motion to discuss line on 5.2? Discussion. Are any objections? Hearing none, we will now discuss line item 5.2. Mr. Watson, go ahead, sir. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, Member Young. Uh, so I'm here today to present the, uh, the financial report for the five months ending November 30th, 2022, which I will put up on the screen for uh, the benefit of all. Let's see here. And so, um, you know, as folks will recall from, from prior uh, committee meetings and prior months, this is our standard monthly financial report that covers a, a variety of topics, including budget versus actuals, budget projections, uh, employee account monitoring, uh, revenues and cash and accounts payable. Um, it is available both on the city council's uh, BFNA agenda um, online. You can click on the document links to get to this report. Um, but also this report and all past month's reports are available on the uh, Office of the Chief Financial Officer's website. You can get to it uh, by going uh, to DetroitMI.gov slash budget uh, and clicking on financial reports. Uh, and there's a whole history of these reports. Um, this specific report, which is for the period ending back in November, um, uh, has pretty consistent results with prior months. Um, you know, we're we're running uh, ahead on revenues compared to the original budget, and running a little bit um, year to date uh, behind on spending. Usually, there is a bit of a lag on spending where we catch up toward the later uh, end of the year. Um, in terms of the budget projections, you know, just like last month when we reported, um, we do have an increase in revenues compared to when we adopted the budget back in April of last year, uh, as concluded from our September revenue estimating conference. Um, we also have additional spending that's been uh, appropriated this year, including for the police labor contracts and the additional $22.6 million expense for that that was approved by the city council back in November. So a big change in this month's report is that the slide we're looking at right now reflects the amendments to the budget that included appropriating that $22.6 million. We do still show a variance for um, the amounts that were not yet appropriated. Uh, and uh, our current projection is those revenues will be needed to cover additional overtime expenses in the fire department. Um, and so right now we're still showing a balanced budget, um, You know, no major concerns there. Um, but just as a preview note as well, we will be holding our February revenue estimating conference. So we do this twice a year where we update the city's revenue projections. Uh, it will be held on February 13th. 
uh, at 1 p.m. in the uh, Irma Henderson Auditorium here at the Coleman A. Young Municipal Center. Uh, it will also be accessible online via Zoom, just like city council meetings. Um, to get the link to that and for additional information, you can see the notice for the Revenue Estimating Conference for February 13th on our website at DetroitMI.gov budget. There's a, a button toward the right that says Revenue Estimating Conference. Um, and then that is the kind of first big step, setting the revenues for the budget process. Um, as everyone knows, budget season is upon us and the mayor uh, will be presenting his recommended budget on March 3rd uh, before the city council. And as I know, Mr. Corley and LPD are going to discuss later in today's agenda. There's an entire you know, calendar of city council budget hearings and, uh, and the rest of budget season as it plays out. Um, but uh, the rest of the report includes just uh, documentation of budget amendments and reconciliations between the adopted budget and what's shown in the report. Uh, again, um, a report of current uh, employee counts by department, uh, income tax collections, which are you know up sizably over the prior year, um, and uh, you know city's cash position and cash forecasts. Uh, again, city has very healthy cash position and then accounts payable us just paying invoices to vendors. Um, so with that, though, um, you know, uh, happy to answer any questions the committee may have on the November financial report. I don't have any questions. Excellent job as always, Mr. Watson. Um, do you, is it, does any of my colleagues have any questions? Mr. Corley, did you have anything you want to say? Please speak up if you do. <laughs> I do not, Mr. Chair. Mr. Whitaker. As usual. All right. Well, all right. Then thank you so much, Mr. Watson. Excellent job as always. Is there a motion to receive and file line item 5.2? Motion. Are there any objections? Hearing none, line item 5.2 will be received and filed. Moving on to line item 5.3. This is status of Council President Mary Sheffield submitting memorandum relative to public notice for Detroit LTGO bonds, limited tax general obligation bonds. Um, Council uh, Chairman Durhall, Council Member Chairman Durhall requested a one week bring back on line item 5.3. So, do I have a motion to bring back line item 5.3 in one week? Motion. Right, motion is made. Are there any objections? Hearing none, line on 5.3 will be brought back in one week. Moving on to six new business. This is Office of Contracting and Procurement. Uh, contract 600-09-6008-A4. That's amendment number four. 100% city funding to provide an extension of time and increase of funds to continue the provision of pension and actuarial services. Contractor Sherion Inc., location 8300 Greenboro Drive, Suite 800 McLean, Virginia, uh, 22102 Previous contract period June 13, 2016 through June 12, 2023. Amended contract period upon City Council approval. Through June 12, 2024, contract increase amount $100,000. Total contract amount $550,000. Is there a motion to move line item 6.1 to new? As it, no, is there a motion to move line item 6.1 to formal session with recommendation for approval on new business? Motion. Motion. Are there any objections? Uh, uh, so sorry, Mr. Chair, are you... Would you want to discuss like to, it, or did you want to... I just want to get a clarification on the motion. Is this for new business or for formal session? This is for formal session. I just wanted to move it. I just move everything on new business so it gets taken up then. So then my motion is to send... Uh, yes, to um, approve item 6.1 and to send to new business. Right, excellent. Yes. Because of when this meeting is happening... You don't have to move it to new business. It's going to be on the formal. Oh, okay. So I can just move it to formal session. Okay. I just like to say that because last time I got caught up, somebody said you didn't move it to new business, so I had to wait a week to put it on the schedule. Okay. So just say, just move it. Partially because your committee, Neighborhoods, meets on Thursday evening. Oh, okay. I see. The timing. Okay. The timing. Okay. I, I, I was wondering, like, what is going on here? All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. So, Thank with you. that, Mr. Chair, I motion to approve line item 6.1 and to send to formal session. 
Okay, a motion be made to move line on the 6.1 to formal session. Are there any objections? Hearing none, line on 6.1 and move to formal session. All right, moving on to line item 6.2. Audit of the Detroit Transportation Corporation. Attached to your review is the report on the audit of the Detroit Transportation Corporation. This report contains the audit purpose, scope, objectives, methodology, and conclusions, background, status of audit findings, and uh, status of prior audit findings, and our findings and recommendations, and the response from the Detroit Transportation Corporation. From my understanding, uh, the chairman has requested a one-week bring back on line item 6.2. Do I have a motion to bring back line item 6.2 in one week? Motion. <coughs> Motion's been made. Are there any objections? Hearing none, line item 6.2 will be brought back in one week. Moving on to line item 6.3. Neighborhood Enterprise Zone Certificate Applications for the rehabilitation of a 56-unit residential apartment building located in 1516 Vinewood in Hubbard Farms Neighborhood Enterprise Zone. Uh, the Office of the City Planning Commission has received seven applications requesting Neighborhood Enterprise Zone certificates referred to the Budget, Finance, and Audit Standing Committee. Is there anybody from the CPC that's wishing to testify? Or hold on for a minute. Is there a motion to discuss line on 6.3? Discussion. All right. Discussion made. Are there any objections? Hearing none. Uh, Mr. Gulak. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Chair. Chris Gulak, CPC staff. Yes. I do have a brief slide to show overview if you'd like. And then we're also joined by the petitioner. Thank you. Mr. Chair, while you're waiting for that. Yes, Dr. Powers. I'm Chair sorry to Dr. interrupt, Powers. but I'm sorry to interrupt, but with line item 6.1, you did send it to formal session, but you didn't actually say Rick with the recommendation to approve. Okay. So just as long as you make that clear, sir. So do I need to say that again? Uh, you can you can just say uh, 6.1 is going to formal session with a recommendation to approve. So 6.1 is going to formal session with recommendation for approval. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Mr. Gulak, you ready, sir? Uh, yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, we're also joined by the developer, uh, Ryan Zampardo, and his representative, Richard Barr. Um, CPC staff also submitted a report to the council with a resolution for consideration. So this, this is an NEZ certificate request uh, for 1516 Vinewood. This map shows the location of the um, request. It's, it's in Southwest Detroit, south of Verner, west of the Boulevard. This zooms a little closer. It's at the Northeast corner of Shady Lane and uh, Vinewood. It is in the historic um, Hubbard Farms neighborhood. This shows a 3D view. Uh, it's an older building at the at, right at the corner, surrounded by um, a dense residential area. Uh, the council approved the uh, NEZ for Hubbard Farms way back in 2002, and the petitioners today are an LLC, which is Blue Ink uh, Vinewood. And that consists of three main developers, Ryan Zampardo is here today, Devin Caldwell, his partner, and Ben Sowers out of Denver. Uh, council may recall Inkwell Partners has been doing other um, multifamily rehab in the city, and I think you recently approved one a few months ago um, in the North End. So this, as I noted, this is an older building. It's, it's uh, currently vacant, boarded up. It's built in 1926. It's in the historic Hubbard Farms area. It's four and a half stories. Um, it's vacant. I believe it's on the city's demo list, but they've asked for a deferral so they could try to save this building and rehab it. Uh, here's a street view looking north uh, at, the, at the building. And you can see there's four stories. It appears the lower story is, is halfway um, below ground. Um, and just to give some of the background, this is a, this is a, some NEZs are for owner-occupied like condos. This one's for a, a rental. So uh, the benefit for the NEZ would go to the property owner, and then ideally they'd pass it on to the tenants. Uh, so this is 56 units, 
um, 37 one bedroom and 19 two bedroom, and they propose to spend about 74,000 per unit. Uh, I guess the building needs a lot of work. I think part of the roofs caved in and the developer has, might have some slides after my presentation if you'd like to look at that in more detail. Uh, regarding the breakdown of the units, um, the one bedroom units would range anywhere from 432 to 646 square feet. The estimated rents are 850 to $1,300 per month. And the two bedroom units would range from 635 square feet to 965 square feet. And the estimated rents would be 1,250 to 1,600 per month. So 11, they're proposing that 11 of the units, seven one bedroom and four two bedrooms would be at rents affordable to persons with incomes not greater than 80% of AMI, area median income. However, they feel at the initial stages of this project that a lot of the rents will be naturally affordable between 55 and 80% AMI. Um, the developer does indicate that due to the historic nature of this building, um, that making the building ADA accessible is not feasible, particularly, I think the building is built right up to the, to the sidewalks. So there's no room to put a ramp. And once you get in the building, I think there's lots of different stair levels that make it impossible to make it ADA accessible. Um, they're also, this is an old building that's non-conforming, so there's no parking on the site. So the developers, there is, it appears there is street parking available, particularly on Shady Lane and on the east side of Vinewood. They are looking for different areas in the neighborhood to offer parking, but for right now, there's no parking provided at this location. Um, and so our office recommends approval of the NAZ. Um, I can answer any questions or, or turn it over to the developer to fill in any detail. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Mr. Gulak. Uh, we do have some questions. Uh, the chair recognizes uh, Councilwoman uh, Romero. Thank you. Um, through you to Mr. Gulak or whoever can answer these questions. A lot of my questions were already answered in the presentation, um, understanding that this is a historic building, um, so there won't be any ADA um, compliance, although, um, does that include, I'm assuming, yes, that there will not be an elevator in this building? It's, it's historical, it's old, there won't be an elevator, correct? There, it actually is a historic um, elevator shaft. Okay. The, the elevator itself is not currently there. Um, the budget that we've included in here uh, does include rehabilitation of the elevator, but we are also still in the process of uh, fully locking down subcontractor bids. Um, and so our, our expectation is that the elevator will likely um, make it into the budget, uh, but this is still kind of an ongoing process with uh, locking down the, the final budget with the contractor. I, I hear you and, and this would hopefully support you in that. So highly, highly encourage um, uh, to seek whatever support uh, you can receive and um, happy to see that there is some push for affordability um, in this area that is getting rapidly uh, more expensive. Um, you did answer my question regarding the parking. Uh, this area is already tight, uh, a tight squeeze. Uh, so hearing that there is no parking on site, um, but just would like to, um, and, and not to hold this up, but just for further conversations discussing what that looks like. There are many neighborhoods in our, in, in our city that are dealing with parking issues. Um, so would rather we can talk offline uh, around what that looks like uh, for us to be creative before it becomes a problem in the future because Hubbard Richard and like other areas in, in the city, um, the parking is becoming um, a, a, an issue. So we'd just like to ask to discuss that and try to be creative on that offline. Um, and my final question is around, has there been any community engagement? Um, if so, has there been any support or um, concerns or opposition to this, uh, to this development? So yeah, I can, I can speak to that. So uh, my partner, Devin, is actually a neighbor here in Hubbard Farms. He lives on Vinewood Street, uh, two blocks away from the building and is very familiar uh, with many of the, the neighbors here and the Hubbard Farms Neighborhood Association. So. Um, we are in, in regularly active touch with the, the Neighborhood Association Board on this project and a number of others that we've done in the neighborhood. Um, and with some of the initial stabilization work that's been taking place on site, um, Devin, my, my business partner, has been uh, in pretty active communication with some of the immediate neighbors on site, actually one of whom was 
uh, logged in at the beginning of the meeting, um, trying to uh, give public comment in support of the the project. Uh, she lives right behind the building and, and has been staring at this as the uh, empty blighted building for, for much of the last decade. Um, so there has been community engagement both with, with this and uh, as I was mentioning, we, we have a few other projects um, in Southwest Detroit and, and specifically in the Hubbard Farms Historic District um, where we've had regular touch points with, with the neighbors. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Councilman. Appreciate that. Yeah, I have one quick question. There is a parking lot that's vacant next door. Could you purchase that lot and expand parking options? So, and I actually have a, a slide that I can share. I can. I'm allowed to share my screen here. Um, are you able to see the the lot here? So. Yeah. The that's, that's, uh, that's the one in the square, right? Yeah, the one the that's top. highlighted here, yeah. immediately to the north of the building, the was rest. actually included as part of the sale with with the structure. Um, it is not currently zoned for parking as an allowable use. So that is something that uh, we're planning on having a discussion with the Neighborhood Association uh, about this lot. I think we've heard anecdotally uh, arguments on both sides of the coin. Some folks who have said you need to have offsite parking, and it's uh, tight streets around here, and we want to see some additional offsite parking. We've also heard from some neighbors who have said we don't want more concrete in the middle of our historic district. We'd like to see this remain as green space. Um, so our, our plan is to more formally engage with the community uh, and discuss the parking lot kind of in a, a separate track from the the actual structure as developers we would like to see some some off-street parking we expect that some of the tenants will uh likely demand that um at the same time we've also with some of the other projects we have in this neighborhood that do not have any uh off-street parking it it hasn't been too much of an issue for for tenants or the the blocks nearby there are some vacant blocks that are within uh short walking distance of here so I think we're we're open to either outcome and willing to work with the community to arrive at the, the right conclusion here. And we have already done an initial study for this lot. Um, if we are able to uh, get a, some uh, zoning variances at BZA, we can fit up to 18 spaces on the lot. So that will meet a decent percentage of the demand for, for parking. Um, but that remains an open item that would be subject to BZA hearing in the future. All right, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, we have another question. Uh, Chair recognizes council member Santiago Romero. Thank you. Um, thank you. And, and I know that this is also something um, that uh, our, our, our chair Durha has a lot of questions on as well, um, given that he does uh, chair our disability task force. Um, I, I mentioned not holding it back for these questions, but if, if you would all just allow me one week to bring this back to sit together with you, I, I would like to hear your discussions that you've had so far with the association and your plans on parking. Um, and instead of trying to have that whole discussion right now, um, I, I, if it's okay with you, um, we would reach out to your uh, to, to you to try to schedule something for our, for us to discuss this next week um, but just want to be able to get some some more information around the parking because that really is going to be um, a big concern to residents as, as you're really dealing with um, but that is really the only information that I need I, I see no other concerns um, in moving this forward but I would like at least one week to be able to discuss this um, and then move it out Okay, can you get that information in one week? Yeah, um, council member, uh, happy to set up a, a separate conversation. Um, I'm not sure what the right avenue for, for that information exchange is, but uh, I think uh, our attorney, Mr. Barr, has contact information for your staff members. So 
right. I'm happy to set up a, an offline conversation. Yeah, I'm sure the councilwoman was more than capable of being able to reach out to you, have that conversation. I just wanted to make sure, you know, because because I know we because I know we we put when we bring this back in one week, more than likely we intend on trying to move it out. So I'm just kind of I'm just trying to tell you, you know, jump on that as quickly as you can. You know what I mean? That's all I'm trying to say. All right. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I drove that point home. Okay. Um. So, is there a motion to bring back? Line item 6.3 in one week. So moved. Motion's been moved. Are there any objections? Hearing none, line item 6.3 be brought back in one week. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for your testimony. Look forward to see you guys again next week. Thank you. Thank you. All right, moved on to Legislative Policy Division. Line item 6.4, public notices for Detroit Limited Tax General Obligation Bonds. On January 17, 2023, public comment was made by Mr. Malik Shelton during the formal session and he asserted that adequate notice was not provided to the public concerning ltgo bonds council president mary sheffield requested legislative policy division to review documentation provided by mr shelton and provide answers in writing regarding this topic is there a motion to receive and file line item 6.4 so moved no, wait, no, I'm sorry. Hold on for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I messed up. Let me, let me, let me cancel it. I'm sorry. Um, council member, uh, uh, the chairman has requested that we have a one-week bring back on line item 6.4. Do I have a motion to bring back line item 6.4 in one week? So moved. B uh, Mr. Whitaker? I did that the right way? Yes. Okay. All right. Make sure. All right. Here are no objections. Uh, we will bring back line item 6.4 in one week. I apologize for that, uh, member Romero. All right, moving on. Uh, line item 6.5 to set a committee of the whole for the purposes of allowing the mayor to present the 2023-2024 recommended recommended budget. Is there a motion to receive? Is there a motion to move line item 6.5 to formal session for recommendation for approval? Mr. Chair. Yeah. Mr. Chair. Do I move this or this is resolution, right? Yeah. So if it's okay uh, with the committee, I can talk about. Uh, 6.5 through right. uh, 6.8 because they all are part of the budget process that's coming up. <laughs> okay. Is there a motion to discuss line on 6.5 through line on 6.8? So moved. Are there any objections? Here or none. Line, line 6.5 through line 6.8 is open to discussion. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The Chair recognizes Mr. Corley. Thank you so much, Mr. Chair. Um, I'm happy to report this upcoming budget process will be, my, will be my 30th budget process. Wow. And this is my favorite time of the year. Good. <laughs> 30th anniversary, huh? So happy to report that. If I would have known, I would have brought some confetti or something, man. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Okay, line item 6.5 represents the resolution setting a committee of the whole meeting at the 10 o'clock at 10 o'clock a.m. on Friday, March the 3rd for the mayor's budget address. You know, normally the mayor presents on March the 7th, but he's doing so on March the 3rd to give council um, extra time to review the budget because we're gonna be starting the budget hearings on the following Wednesday, March the 8th. So that's line item 6.5. And um, line item 6.6 .6 represents the resolution having all morning council standing committees start at 9 a.m rather than at 10 a.m. for the period of Wednesday, March the 8th, through Thursday, March the 30th, to accommodate the budget hearing process. There's gonna be about uh, 45 hearings, uh, just as last year. This gives the uh, Umbrella uh, City Council the opportunity to hear from all the agencies that receive general fund uh, dollars. The morning uh, council standing committees are, of course, public health and safety, internal operations, and planning economic development. The starting time will go back to 10 a.m. starting on Wednesday, March the 28th. The Budget Finance and Audit Standing Committee and the Neighborhood and Community Services Standing Committee will continue to meet at 1 p.m. during the budget process. Also, this same resolution at line item 6.6 .6, um, indicates that the committee meetings will last no more than one hour to accommodate the budget hearings and all executive session budget deliberations. Line item 
represents the resolution setting the public hearing on the budget to be held at 5 p.m. on Monday, March the 27th, in accordance with Section 8-206 of the City Charter. And the public hearing usually takes place after all of the budget hearings are done. And then lastly, line item 6.8 represents the institution of the budget calendar scheduling policy that attempts to limit the number of changes the departments can make regarding budget hearings after they have had a chance to review the budget schedule and the schedule, schedule has been finalized. So thank you for that opportunity to explain that. And um, the committee can take up line item 6.5 through 6.8. Thank you, Mr. Corley. Appreciate that, sir. All right. Is there a motion to move line item 6.5 to... Yeah, is there, is there a motion to... Hold on for a minute. Mr. Whitaker, this is the receiving file or is this to move forward? This is move forward, isn't it? Move forward to yeah. formal session. That's all. That's what I want to make sure. All right. Is there a motion to uh, move forward <coughs> line item 6.5 through 6.8 to formal session with recommendation for approval? So moved. Are there any objections? Hearing none, line out of 6.5 through 6.8 is moved to formal session with recommendation for approval. Now we will move on to member reports. Chairman has negative member report. Chair now recognizes member Santiago Romero. Thank you so much. Just want to briefly remind everyone that might be interested in our first uh, Building Power Training Series training next week, Wednesday, February 8th. We're going to be at Kemeny Rec Center at 6 p.m. going over our city budget. Thank you so much to Mr. Corley, our own money man, who's going to support us. So looking forward to that, and that is it. And thank you so much. Thank you. I just wanted to say that uh, to Chairman Durhall, you will be missed, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for everyone. If there isn't anything further, the Budget, Finance, and Audit Standing Committee is now adjourned. <laughs>